And welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 FM on your dial. My name is Bill Templeman. In addition to this show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. The podcast of tonight's show is usually uploaded by noon the next day, and every Thursday, a small crew of local pundits gathers at the Garnet pub 5 p.m. for an informal gathering where we talk about all things political all are welcome please join us we post on twitter at bill temp and on the cooperate peterborough facebook page joining me tonight in the studio is our panel to talk about the use of social media in politics uh, we have lauren hunter uh, michael skinner yocasta boone kemia capo and alicia robaca lauren could you lead us off with introductions sure thanks bill so i am a, a political nerd to uh the great extent possible. And uh, I did the calculations the other day, been involved in over a dozen campaigns, municipally, provincially, and federally uh, for a number of years now. Great. Michael. Good evening. I'm Michael Skinner. I'm the Conservative candidate both in the 2015 election as well as our 2019 election, which is coming up next year. Um, and so also helped out in a number of uh, campaigns, both at a federal and a provincial level. Yocasta. Good evening. My name is Yocasta Boone, and I, uh, I live and breathe communications and have helped out on a number of campaigns in Peterborough, both uh, municipally and federally, uh, as part of a communications team. Great. And Kemia. Hello. Uh, my name is Kemia Capo, a new, newly elected city councillor to the city of Peterborough, uh, town ward. Um, I've been elected. Oh, I've been elected on three campaigns. <laughs> I wish I've been involved in three campaigns, uh, two municipal, one um, provincial. Yeah, I was the lead social media person on my team, so I guess that's what we're going to talk about. Great. And Alicia. Hi, I'm Alicia Rubisha. Um I'm coming at this kind of from a community member perspective, but I also work at Nourish, where I'm the knowledge transfer specialist, um, and I do a lot of civic engagement work and media literacy work. Great. Well, thank you all, and thank you for showing. Uh, now, as we have a candidate present in the room tonight, and as just before the show, we are in another campaign season. I mean, it seems we went from provincial to municipal, and, and now uh, there are signs on the horizon the federal campaign is uh, springing to life. I should say a few words about Trent Radio and our required neutrality regarding parties and candidates during elections. Trent Radio holds a CRTC license, broadcast license, and as a license holder, we must ensure that all candidates are treated equally. For example, during the recent municipal election, I invited all 27 uh, candidates uh, for uh, for ward councillor and the uh, morality candidates to appear in this program. 21 of them took me up on the offer, but everyone had an equal opportunity to be on the program. Uh, during the provincial election, no candidates appeared in the show, but now we're in more or less an unofficial period of active campaigning for next October's federal election. We must observe the same guidelines. So I'm glad Michael can join us tonight, and in subsequent programs, we'll invite the candidates from the Liberal, NDP, and Green parties. The subject of our panel tonight is the use of social media in politics. Now, this could easily fill an entire season of podcasts. To trim this uh, this topic down into something manageable, I've come up with a summarization in two chunks. One, we'll talk about elections, uh, how social media shows up in local elections, how candidates use social media, the good, the bad, the scary, and, and where we see show, social media going in campaigns in the future. And then we'll talk about the sort of interim inter-election period, the, the lobbying and branding, the uses of 
of social media outside elections by citizens, third-party actors, lobby groups, and political parties. Marketing, branding, influencing, all that on a local, regional, national level. All right, so on with elections. Uh, We've gone through two so far. Provincial election June 7th, the municipal on the 22nd. Before we get into the weeds of who did what and who was missing in action, let's wrestle with a few big questions. This is a crowded room. We are, this is like New Year's Eve in a phone booth, so <laughs> bear with us. Social media in election campaign, campaigns, certainly I'm old enough to remember, it used to be a frill. I can remember, I think it was Dean Pappas saying uh, informally once, you know, I was the first councillor to have a website. You know, that was news way back when. Uh, now, of course, it's just table stakes. So it seems to be a necessity, or is it? Uh, is social media, uh, social media really matter during a campaign? Isn't campaigning door-to-door still the best way to develop support and get to know people? Or, or, or it's social media like just wearing a clean shirt, brushing your teeth. You have to do it, but it's not going to get you elected. Where are we at with this? Is it now an essential tool? Yes. There, there is. <laughs> Thank you, Kimmy. There was significant body language. Uh, yeah, I think we're all very polite. It's like, oh, no, you go ahead. No, no, no. So essential, I think yes. I mean, I think it depends on who you're trying to reach. There's definitely a large population of people who are on social media and people who aren't. Do I think it's the only tool that should be used? Most definitely not. Door knocking, I think it's still the bread and butter of campaigning. But yeah, I mean, during my most recent campaign, I used a lot of platforms, minus Snapchat. And it was it was very good. Like, I had a lot of engagement through it. And um, I think it's a shame if, if you run a campaign without any social media presence. Okay. Michael? Yeah, I could absolutely agree as well. I mean, I look at social media as just another way to communicate with your audience. So obviously door knocking is great because it's personal. It's one-on-one. It's two-way. Um, if you look at the past, obviously big phone banks used to happen as well, and the candidate would start going through and phoning a number of people. Um, but social media also covers that as well. And so I think the trick to social media, though, is it has to be two ways. It's not just about you know doing a retweet and pushing out your message. You really need to listen to your audiences as well and engage as well. It's not simply just uh, sending a broadcast message out there and, and hope people will read it. It's about sending messages out there that get dialogue and uh, and bringing that dialogue back. Delora. I'm going to differentiate a little bit there, and I, I do think that it's a tool. It's another tool in the campaign toolbox. I think that for the most part, candidates do need to use it. In terms of like the two-way conversation, I think what works best on social media is authenticity. So for a candidate who maybe didn't grow up in a social media age, uh, to really push themselves out there to engage that way in social media may not be authentic to who they are or how they operate. And I do think that voters can smell inauthenticity a mile away. And so best use of social media, in my opinion, is authentic to the candidate that continues their voice and their presence through Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or any of those other mediums. So am I right in sort of trying to frame social media as the digital equivalent of a smart, appealing pamphlet that's attractive, that has useful information that sort of no one really reads, but they, you've got to have one when you go door to door? Or is it more than that? Well, I would say it's more than that. Social media has the ability to influence in a way that print piece is something that is... I want to say stale or static. It it just doesn't have the same engagement factor that social media does. And you can't also build momentum with social media that you can't do in those other, you know, pieces that you referenced. We have seen candidates locally who have been able to have a reach greater than any of the local 
media outlets in town. So right. the the ability to utilize social media in a way to get your message out and engage and have those conversations with more people, it really is only social media that can do that. As a, as a candidate, you have a limited number of days to knock on doors, and there's a limited number of doors you're going to get to. And social media opens that up that you can actually broaden what you know you can do in a five or six month sometimes six week campaign now the the urban myth uh, mythology in peterborough is that well you know we're a city with a large number of seniors an older population many of those folks are not on social media and so it's the younger demographic that's on so where my question is stumbling towards is what's the penetration who does social media reach these days Campaigning. Depends what social media you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <there's laughs> it's platform by platform. I find with the Nourish Facebook, it's largely like middle-aged women. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Young people, like my niece, for instance, who's like 19, 20, she does not really use Facebook. She uses it because her family uses it, but she doesn't use it the same way that you or I would. Uh, so what platforms? Michael? Well, I would just like to point I kind of agree just like saying the word media. I mean, obviously, there's many different TV channels, and many different people watch different channels of different demographics and different ages. I think the exact same thing is with social media. And you do get some crossover between the different platforms, but the reality is people typically pick one or two platforms as their primary platform because they're reality is there's so much information out there from different sources you kind of have to go to your go-to platform and it does seem to be very demographic based obviously when it comes to an election i mean you can you can tailor your message and make sure that it's relevant to the individuals that you're talking to as well which is something you would see in traditional media as well i mean commercials on different tvs have always been on different channels have always been different and so i think it's just extending that over as well sure now i is there any truth to the the tranching slicing, if you will, of the various platforms according to demographics. Now, the only reason I have a presence on Snapchat is through my daughters, (laughs) Uh, and I am sure I'm the only person over 35 in this part of the hemisphere that's on Snapchat. They all appear to be young. Oh, there's another hand going up. Okay. But only because of my daughters. Only because of you. Okay. So could we do a rough breakdown like Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram? Who, like, for Peterborough, who's on what? Well, first let's talk about who's on what in general. So over half the population is on Facebook, then LinkedIn at 48%. Instagram and Twitter are tied at 34%, where Pinterest comes in at 33%. So this, what I found today for our stats, didn't include Snapchat or Twitter and Instagram are tied at 34% of the population are using it. So this is Canadian population and what we're using. So Facebook still is by far the largest platform in Canada being used. All ages? For all ages, but the largest demographic is over 35 on Facebook, right? So my daughters, I twin girls at 16, a son at 20, none of them use Facebook. None of them. None of them. No. Do they use Twitter? No. So they they think Twitter is just this awful place that's just like, why would you go there? And, uh, you know, that might have some uh, nurturing for me on that factor. Um, But they use Instagram. They use Instagram. They use Snapchat. Yep. Now, Catherine McKenna would agree with you, Yocasta. She posted sometime this winter, I think Twitter has hit maximum effectiveness because she was getting so much negative feedback from whomever and whatever i mean in terms of uh the things she was putting out there and what people were sending back so in peterborough are we safe to say that you want to speak to uh, an older demographic you're on facebook 
you want to speak to students, you're on Instagram. Instagram. Are those do those generalizations hold any water? Are they for politicians? It's the great place to start from. And then you when you start engaging, you find out if that's actually where your audience is. So I mean in any campaign you need to reach people of all demographics mm-hmm. who believe in your message. And sometimes you will be surprised where you will find your people, right? So you go with, you start with, well, most people use Facebook and typically most voters, the, uh, those who are of voting age and have the highest turnout rates are on Facebook. But that doesn't mean you aren't going to find new voters or convert voters on other platforms. So you you have to be wise in creating a healthy, robust strategy. And I'm going to build on what Michael said. Like, if we were advising what radio station to advertise on, you'd look at who that, who's that reaching, what time that's reaching those people, and the same with social media. Okay. This all reminds me of uh, a painful experience that I had uh, when I said to my daughters, well, look on your email. I'll send you an email. And there was this blank look. <laughs> they don't use email. <laughs> what am I to do? Um, okay. Message. What's that? Direct message. Direct message, yes. WhatsApp. Uh, DM. R- yeah. What up? <laughs> yes. Now, are there camp? Uh, do people campaign on what, uh, WhatsApp? Not necessarily as a campaign, but as a communication tool within a campaign. So uh, this last municipal one was the first place that I saw that being used. And it was fantastic because you can have little different groups. Uh, you know, a communications team is on one channel and a full campaign team is on another channel. And so in amongst people. So with your daughter, perhaps you might be able to communicate on WhatsApp versus What's email. Yes. And well, you other... told me about WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, other good thing about WhatsApp is it transcends sort of what kind of phone you have. So, it, it you know, Apple, Android whatever type of other phone is out there, you can use WhatsApp on it. So it's good. Okay. Now, before we get too local, what are the best practices that are should be common to all campaigns? For example, the big ideas like interactivity, responding to challenges, answering questions, credibility, links to validating resources, multimedia outreach, like outreach, like putting up a video, photography, podcasting, online town halls. Who, did someone run a Twitter town hall recently? I don't think in this campaign. Uh, no. Okay. But what about those ideas for campaign? Uh, at the municipal level, is it too much? I'm, well, I'm going to just hop in and say I think the first principle is identifying how you're going to conduct yourself in social media. Mm-hmm. So establishing whether whatever you want to call it, uh, code of conduct or a set of standards or expectations around how we will engage with each other, which we saw that a lot in the last municipal campaign as well as, well, I would say in all last three campaigns that have happened that it to make it clear that we want respectful dialogue we will not tolerate swearing profanity disrespectful comments like and and when you work within that framework you then know how to relate with each other so when you do see some of that not positive comments coming in there's there's a standard that we can hold that to so if somebody's going to persist in saying rude or inappropriate things they can be removed from that those comments can be removed because they've broken the code of conduct right and yokasa you're you're touching on an issue i wanted to get to uh, and that's uh, of course the values like honesty respect civility respecting boundaries respecting mm-hmm. diversity differences and moving beyond 24/7 partisanship how do we foster more of that in the online community so that on the the various platforms there's actually significant conversation and dialogue like people are learning stuff about positions about policies is that possible 
I think when you figure that out, you should tell us all yeah. how that's going Well, that's work. why I'm asking you. <laughs> and I, well, I, for one, will say I don't know what the answer to that question is. Okay. Uh, and you only have to do a, a couple searches on Twitter of uh, local political names uh, here from Peterborough to see some of the uh, hate and awfulness that's coming down the pipe at them, regardless of, of who they are. Uh, and I, I don't know how we self-police on those channels. I don't know that anyone's sort of figured that out yet, but that is the big question. Uh, uh, and it comes right back to, you know, what tools do you use? How do you use that campaign toolbox of Twitter town halls and all the rest of that? Campaigns are all about uh, limited resources, right? You've got limited yeah. time, limited dollars, limited bodies, humans to do things sure. with you and for you. Uh, and you have to pick which are going to get to the people that you need the most to, to turn out your vote for you. So you got to pick and choose. If, if Twitter is going to be just a caustic, awful place to be, well, then it might not be worthwhile for your candidate to spend a lot of time there. Right. Now, how do candidates, uh, and uh, I won't parse this into experienced social media users versus newbies, uh, let me just talk generally in general terms first. How do candidates make what is a fairly, can be a fairly routine activity, door-to-door canvassing, how do they tell that story in an interesting way? Like, I noticed Gary Baldwin, he had his step counter, and he said, you know, today I did another 11,000 steps towards re-election, and it worked for me. I got, you know, I would check in Gary's Twitter feed and say, well, how many steps you do today, Gary? But there are other people in the room who have campaigned. How do you make your stories interesting so that people will want to pay attention. I think that that is always the big conversation, right? I mean, you do want to make it interesting. I mean, every time you do a piece of flyer and you you put it together, you want to make it interesting. You want to make sure that it gets people's attention. And so I think it's important to constantly look at any kind of media source, whether it's social media or not, to make sure that you're having that impact and are people looking at it. I know for us, a lot of stuff comes down to focus groups when we're doing big broadcast messages. The hard part about social media is a lot of time is instantaneous. Obviously, you can script certain levels of social media when you're just pushing it out. But for true interaction, a lot of time is happening real time. And it has to continue happening real time. So I think having a set of internal processes, understanding your core values and making sure that their core values are stuck to and that you're truthful about your core values is sort of a safety net to go back on. As long as you're telling the truth, you should be okay. Kimmy. So I would agree with everything Michael just said. Uh, But in addition to that, something that I appreciate and something that I try to do is just people like to just keep it real. So like, you know, I would be pushing out, you know, sort of the pre-scripted stuff, but then on the fly, I would be like, look, this beautiful view I'm on top of Park Hill and whatever intersection and just went canvassing, but look at the view that I have. And it ended up like a lot of my posts that people ended up appreciating was me taking photos of the nature or, if, you know, whatever I encountered along the way. And people really appreciate that because they get it. They get that you're campaigning. They get that you have to push those messages out. But that when you post something that isn't scripted, it kind of gets them off guard, but it helps them feel that you're more human and they can relate a little bit more to you. Yeah, and Kimmy, in your case, I mean, it was so obvious you're an experienced social media user. I mean, people know you on social media, and and there were real conversations. And I noticed with people who are not candidates who are new to social media, it's almost as if I, I wanted to say, why don't you hire or like get a volunteer who, because you know yourself, uh, Dianterian, you know who've been on social media mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. There's a real difference in 
how you use the tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's right. I mean, I do I do have a lot of experience using social media, but in a very different context, right? I'd never used it before to sort of promote myself as a as a politician, and I did get help. You know, even with my vast years of experience, I did have two people helping me out with my social media. One person was sort of creating content, and the other person was monitoring it to make sure that I didn't miss comments or miss any any sort of interactions because as a candidate, you're busy. You're out there knocking on doors. You're going to events. You don't necessarily have time to sit 24-7 and look at your phone. Um, but you're right. I do think volunteers are crucial, particularly for those who may not have the experience. Okay. For municipal candidates, should candidates get into the uh, answering, replying to tweets, ongoing co- conversations? Is that – does that work? <laughs> I think if you – if again, if a candidate is going to uh, d- decide to engage on Twitter, uh, then they should be authentic to both the medium and themselves. And so Twitter, as I think Mike said earlier, works best as a two-way conversation. And so I I think if you're going to go out there and start to do that as a candidate, you do need to be ready to respond, whether it's you or your team, because we know that uh, volunteers do help out with that. But the candidate's voice needs to be coming through there. And those volunteers need to work pretty closely with the candidate and or communications team to make sure that's that's really their voice that's responding. I'll just add there that the key with social media is responsiveness. So if you're going to put yourself out there and utilize these platforms, you need to be prepared or your team prepared to to respond on these platforms checking in three days later on what happened about a picture that you posted about a door that you were at is you you missed your window to engage with somebody to thank them to ask them questions to just that that level of interaction that is expected in social media and so you're talking same day oh i'm talking same hour hour. like yeah yeah you want to be we're we're talking you're on it so like i'm going to give a shout out to kemi probably one of the best municipal campaigns on social media platforms was Kemi's. And it was because she balanced the political messaging that had to go out about campaign events and policy with the what she was doing on the campaign trail with who she was as a real person like what was of interest to her how she saw this community there there was a lovely balance of those three things and kemi and her team were responsive you saw the engagement right Mm -hmm. and so that's what you're looking for is Mm -hmm. the ability to share your message to be authentic in that and then to be able to see it through it's not a one-way street you can't just push it out and hope it lands well so it's a commitment mm-hmm. well you can you can okay and, and, lots, <laughs> and lots of people do yes. uh, yeah. but that's not where you're going to get the most usefulness out of social media yeah and i, okay. I do have to say um at least instagram facebook and twitter if you do ads are very good at like sort of like oh this boost this post got like a thousand people looking at it this post only got five people looking at it what can you do to improve it so they do try to help you uh sort of boost your reach um and then obviously there's paid advertisement that is unlimited well you 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 touch on uh, a question i wanted to pursue do any candidates use the the paid facility the paid uh, capabilities the ads on twitter on facebook where you boost your post yes (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. Yes. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that goes along with that, though, and Kenny kind of pointed out to is the analytics. I mean, it's just like any kind of media source. You need to go back and look at the analytics, what's, you know, what people are paying attention to, what's causing topics to get out there and conversation happening, what are people completely ignoring for whatever reasons, and obviously bring that information back when you're putting your next post together as well. Which dogs and babies rank better than anything else? Like, <laughs> like they do. Pictures of puppies and yeah. babies get yeah. the most likes and engagement, right? Yes. Which yes. says something about what the electorate is. They want to see you in your humanity. Mm-hmm. Yes. They want to see you being in relationship to kind things like dogs and babies. Like, (laughs) it's so it's really like as much as you we had on Diane's campaign, one policy that just took off and went crazy. We're like, wow, that was really exciting for policy to do that. But that's not typically what happens. Right. People like dogs and babies not necessarily are going to engage with, you know, a big white paper on policy. So you also have to understand that that platform has a different attention span or engagement cycle than a website or doing a proper media event to release different kinds of information. So it just, it's, it's a whole strategy. I think the one thing too, that goes along with that is that there obviously is always a silent uh, majority that's taking a look at a lot of those posts as well. And so mm-hmm. pictures of your kids, for example, everyone has feels safe to say, yeah, we like that. Mm-hmm. But you start pushing out policy. People are, you know, now they're exposing themselves on social media, say, yes, they agree with that policy. And maybe they do, um, but it takes a certain level of person to kind of be committed to, to put out there and tell the rest of the world that they agree. And so I think when it comes back to analytics, you're always balancing because, you know, if you look at stuff, I've had a lot of stuff that I've posted out there and, you know, you get four or five likes and retweets and yet 25 or 30 people will come up to me and talk to me about the policies. They paid attention. They just didn't feel confident enough to let the rest of the world world basically know that, yes, they do pay attention and that they believed in it as well. And I will say that I do feel odd on a panel talking about social media in local politics because I am much more of a lurker on social media than I am an active commenter. Right. Uh, and so I'm in that silent majority of people. I see it all go by. I don't yeah. necessarily, in fact, right. rarely uh, engage with it myself. But uh, I, right. I watch for what people are saying. So- yeah, anytime I get a like from Lauren, I'm like, oh, my God. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so the, this... This issue of policy, uh, policy statements on social media and media releases, does anyone notice? And how do we get people to notice? I mean, the, the, there are that, that small tranche of the electorate that, that is interested in policy, that wants to know your position on, well, let's say in a provincial or a federal campaign, what are your, what's your party's position on, blah, 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 blah. And, and they want to chew it over and maybe discuss it, debate it with you. How do you get those people in social media? How do you draw them in? The room is silent. (laughs) Maybe it's not a good idea. Go back to babies. Uh, I would say that those folks who are really keen about policy will find you to talk about policy. Uh, And so not not necessarily on the candidates' pages themselves, but, you know, if you take a scroll through the Peterborough Examiner or Peterborough This Week's uh, Facebook pages, there is active conversation, most often about political topics and and a lot about policy. So uh, there are those folks out there who want to engage. Again, I think... I think it's another way you push out a media release. So not just sending it to the media, but you might put it on your website and you put it on your social media and it's sort of use all the channels at your disposal to get that message out. Mm-hmm. As Alicia. one of those policy geeks, I <laughs> agree that I will find it if it's out there. Right. So put it out there for me. Um, I was just going to say that small media is like small local media is a huge part of mm. what I look for and not just 
not just media from media organizations, but media from like nonprofits. I like, for instance, like a way home Peterborough put out a document that was asking every candidate what their policy was on housing, and that was really informative. I look for those documents and those inquiries. And the responses from candidates, let's say in a yeah, absolutely, yeah, okay. yeah. I you got it. And then if, if people aren't asking those questions, we're not going to get those answers. So that's the kind of document that I really want and crave. You bring up a really great point because the the community around the that tight group of candidates and their campaign teams can also utilize social media to change the conversation throughout an election cycle. Mm-hmm. So when we have not-for-profits who are releasing policy pieces and asking for debate or discussion around certain topics, it can change the narrative. Mm-hmm. And so it's critically important that not just candidates are using it, but also those people who are passionate about the issues within our community that they want to see in our community are using social media to engage with politicians and the citizens to say, this is important. Let me tell you why. Right? And when I find those documents, I and maybe some other people I know tend to kind of blast that out further and like take snippets out of it because I know that a lot of people that I care about aren't going to actually read the document that I read. Let's be realistic. (laughs) But because I read it, I can sift through it and pull out the salient details that I know are going to make people really angry or really excited. And I lay that out in, you know, nice little info bites that are easily digested. I'm going to follow you on Twitter right now. You're on Twitter? Making Peterborough. Making PTBO. (laughs) All right. Now, a sort of basic question. How much to post? How often to post? When to post? I mean, uh, let's keep this in the municipal frame for the time being. Well, maybe a federal branch as well. How do you know when to hit people? <laughs> well, don't literally go hitting people. That's not <laughs> all right. It depends on the platform. If you are on Facebook, I like somebody on my team was like, "You should post three posts a day," and I was like, "No." <laughs> uh, I did three, maybe four posts a week. Uh, you don't want right. to inundate people, um, mm. particularly if you already also have paid advertising, because it just shows up on people's feeds and they they can get annoyed. Twitter, you can post, it, it, again, it depends on what you're posting about, but you can post multiple times a day. Instagram, once a day, that was sort of my thing. And if it was a really special day, okay. twice a day. But again, oh. you don't want to overwhelm people, but it also depends on the platform. So you're talking about um, endurance, uh, eyeball endurance? Like yes. Not, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to uh, annoy your your constituents, or that's not the word I was looking for, but you don't want to annoy people. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's important to have somebody on your team that understands the the platform and the analytics of it because they change their algorithms all the time. So right. you just think you got Facebook figured out and they go and change the algorithms and what was naturally getting you a couple hundred, if not a thousand in organic reach no longer is getting organic reach at that hour. So you have to be adaptive to your strategy as well because depending on what's happening in social media that day meaning what has gone viral like what is taking over the internet and depending on on how you what you put in your post the same time every day won't necessarily work at the same time every day is what I guess I'm trying to say like you actually have to be constantly looking at it and aware and seeing what's happening and and giving it a try the next day to go back if you were told you know 
this week it's good to post at 4.10 in the afternoon. That isn't what's going to work tomorrow. Yeah. Now, um, Sylvia Sutherland was on a program uh, in this room a few weeks ago, and she made the observation that uh, when she was, she was away she, outside of uh, Peterborough, uh, somewhere else in Ontario, I think, um, and she was watching the campaign, the municipal campaign in, in August and early September on social media. And she, she came back with this observation. She said, you know, watching the campaign from afar, I thought, well, Dan Terrian has this in the, in the bag. You know, she got back to town. She began to look at sign placements, talk to people. And she said, now I feel it's much closer. This perception changed. Now, it turns out, of course, her initial social media perception <laughs> was, was spot on. Um, but how I, I guess where why I, I trot out the anecdote is how does the success of a social media campaign square with the traditional campaigning, the sign placements, the knocking on doors, the all that? What's that relationship? Well, I think first of all, I mean, knocking on doors still, I think, is by far the best way because you're actually having an interaction. You're going to people's houses, and the other thing is you're showing, no matter what position in politics, is that you care. Obviously, if you're going to take the time to go to every single person's house in a neighborhood, you're clearly going to be there and be responsive for that person once you get elected. So I think that's the message that you're also sending out there. Um, but obviously, in the last election, you know, we had um, you know we had a very generational divide on the um, on the last municipal election, and uh, I think we saw that and how the technology was used. and uh, And I think it is a it's a good point. I mean, I think everybody that. They got elected this time and municipally very much had good social media campaigns. And so I, I guarantee that it was a, a good portion of that as well. Okay, yeah, I was just about to say that. Who, who got it right? Like, clearly the winners got something right. I mean, Diane Terrian's social media campaign is very strong. Of course, uh, as is Kemi's, as we go through the wards, most of the winning candidates had strong social media presences. What were some of the highlights? What worked? Like Gary Baldwin's step counter. Of course, Kemi's uh, very, very, very person, uh, personal, human, very real uh, updates. Uh, Leslie Parnell had her notes. Kim Zippel had her summaries. Uh, Stephen Wright had his anecdotes. Keith Riel had some announcements. Uh, no, Henry Clark, Andrew Beamer, David Hakey, and Daryl Bennett were less, a- less active. Uh, two of them won anyway, two lost. So what can we conclude from all that? Are, are there any uh, rules, guidelines, anything that's boiling out of that? So I'd be willing to conclude that we can't really conclude anything <laughs> about that. All right. So it's... It's changing too fast. Yes. That's that's what's actually happening. We don't have, well, first of all, we haven't looked at the polling data from the municipal election to correlate with the age. So demographically, Diane reached every, like, every demographic group she took in, mm-hmm. in, in voter turnout and uh, as well as votes for her. We know that a number of those demographics don't play on social media. So clearly her message resonated beyond the reach of Facebook, right? Which is important from a campaign strategy. Your message has to reach no matter what you do and how you choose to do it. I'm going to echo what Lauren said earlier about authenticity. So there's... The candidates that you identified that didn't have weren't so active on social media, you wouldn't expect them to be so active on social media. They, they, it's not been 
in their workplace environment. It's not how they've grown up. Like there was a different way of how that you would communicate. So it it's an interesting time that we're at that even mm. though that for the platform for you to work on a platform social media platform successfully you have to be who you are but now we're seeing that if you aren't there it may have some disadvantage to your campaign mm-hmm. so right. what do you do about that yeah how do we how do we give everybody well everybody has the opportunity to participate in social media that's the lovely thing about it it's free and very accessible but and very time consuming, yes. but very time consuming. Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. if you if you don't believe that that is a good t- place to put your campaign volunteers in it, you're going to choose to do something differently, which that's that's the lovely thing about politics. Everybody gets to decide how they're going to go about their campaign. But I think we mm-hmm. are seeing a turn of a, a, a like there's enough data now and enough election cycles with social media making a huge difference. And this goes back to mm-hmm. 2004 and Obama, like mm-hmm. social making media making a huge difference in an out an election outcome that it has to be considered a factor in a successful campaign now. To what degree? We're not sure. Kimmy. I can't be sure. sure. Yeah. So basically ditto what Yocasta said in two points. One you know, 20 years ago, nobody was using social media for their for their election campaigns. And social media is changing so rapidly that who knows what's going to happen in the next 5, 10 years. Like, Facebook is no longer cool for the younger generation. Instagram's a thing now. And who knows what next year, by the time the federal election comes along, there might be this new, like, thing, social media, that you might, like, all the kids are on it. So, therefore, now you have to be on it. And you have to learn about it. Um, and the other thing... Well, I was wondering how all this squares... We've been talking so much about the municipal election. How all this squares with now the provincial and the federal elections where instead of having a candidate write her his own policy and with a small team of volunteers and push out that message, you have this head office somewhere in, let's talk provincially, in Queen's Park, uh, pushing out policy, pushing out messages. So... How does a local social media campaign differ in that regard once you have a provincial or a federal party involved? What's the flex? Uh, Because obviously you have to be consistent. So how does that playoff happen? Well, I think you have to obviously be consistent. I mean, obviously there's core values that every party has. But I also think it's important that the candidate has their own grassroots movement. I mean, at the end of the day, people are electing the candidate in that area. And obviously, you know, in the federal level, policies are being set at a national level from a high-level point of view, but you have to localize them. You know, in the past, you would have seen a white paper come out from a candidate, which is sort of static and sort of says, this is what was said nationally, and this is how it translates locally. I think you're seeing this happening more in real time. Um, I think the interesting thing for, for candidates, though, is how do they respond to um, things that are happening at the speed of light? You know, the national party, something happens at a across the country, and you decide to tweet out a comment that gets national pickup, and all of a sudden it's it goes out way beyond the borders of your riding, where in the past it would have sort of stayed pretty local, even if a local TV station picked it up, it wouldn't have gone much beyond that local audience. And so I think balancing that's the big thing that we have to do today. Well, Michael, you touch on something I wanted to, to follow up on. Does it help a candidate if mainstream media picks up uh, a campaign issue on the candidate's social media? And if so, how do you increase this pickup? That, that depends entirely on the pickup. Is it good or is it not good? Yes. Yeah, sometimes it can be good, and as a conservative, most of the times it's not. So, <laughs> who was the the uh, federal 
minister, I'm going back maybe a decade and a half, who did a tour of a dairy plant and wore a plastic oh, yeah. bonnet. It was in Quebec, and it became this joke, and it was cruel. <laughs> Gilles Duceppe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gilles Duceppe. You're welcome. That's why I came here tonight. <laughs> Thank you. See, lurkers have extreme value. All right. Speaking of lurkers, um, I was, uh, I, I was um, looking at, there was a photo of five conservative leaders and, uh, in business suits, and they, something, the caption was, The Resistance, Justin Trudeau's New Nightmare or something. And it was, um, uh, of course, Doug Ford, Andrew Scheer, and uh, Jason Kenney, and then the two provincial premiers whose names I can't remember. Lauren, you don't remember? <laughs> Someone help me, help me. Anyway, the, those two provincial standing in the background, and there was a bit of body shaming on social media. These are middle-aged uh, gentlemen who were a bit heavy. A- and body shaming, of course, if it's directed against female journalists, the Internet goes wild, and so you can't do that. Yeah, that's, And yet somehow this slipped in, and so a discussion happened. And it seems to drag down the... I have all sorts of energy. I, I follow people... Uh, in the Conservative Party to find out what they're thinking, because I'm, like Alicia, I, I'm interested in policy. But when we get into the, these body shots, like, who cares? It, it, it seems to drag things down. So other than not engaging it ourselves, what what is the fix? Or is there a fix? I was just going to agree with you that I hate that style of engagement in politics, like the obsessing with Trump's hair, for instance. That's the one that really gets me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't get us anywhere at all. Yeah, let's talk about his policy on climate change. Who cares about his hair? Yeah, (laughs) right. Okay. Uh, All right. Now, how much time and effort should go into social media campaigns? And now we're talking on on the provincial, federal level. What are the minimum standards in terms of just resources you can put into them? I, I, 20 years ago, it was a nice to have. And I told you, uh, mentioned the anecdote, uh, Dean Pappas uh, had his website, and he was apparently one of the first. And that was uh, something of a deal at the time, although uh, how many people noticed. Now it's changed. It's changed to what? Any Any ideas? I mean, I think we've been saying all the way through that it's sort of it is something that you need to do now as part of a modern campaign, uh, but I believe it should be balanced with all of the other activities uh, that happen in a campaign. And, you know, a, a savvy campaign is going to look at their candidate and decide where their best, where their time is best spent. Mm-hmm. Is it at the doors in one-on-one interactions? Is it on social media where they may be able to reach a greater number of people through a Twitter town hall or something like that. So mm-hmm. I'm going to not answer your question and say, again, that it's very specific to to the candidate uh, mm-hmm. and what works best for them and who are the voters that they're trying to target and turn out yeah. to vote for them yeah. is what it all comes down to, which is the same with a door-knocking strategy or phone calls or debates sure. or all yeah. of that. Yeah. Now, on the, provincial, uh, on the provincial level, the Ontario Conservatives campaign to their base very effectively on social media, and they're still doing it. And what it's the Ontario News Network. Um, what can other parties learn from this? Well, I think the the first lesson in it is that you are able to drill down who your base or your right. people are, or you know, however you want to frame your voters. It's easier than ever to do that. Before we had to ship things out by postal code. 
Right. Right? Like you right. had to pick which postal codes in Peterborough would get the mailing. And right. you could choose to leave out a postal code or not, but you couldn't choose which house on that street. And now you get to pick which IP address gets your message. Yeah. So if right. a person has used keywords or you know based on their activity or other online activity that they have like values, you can identify them and market to them. So I think social media has changed how we identify individuals as opposed to groups of people. We are able to really drill it down to an IP address, which is either liberating or really scary. <laughs> like, right. like, depending on how you look at it, right? right, right like, right, we're not right. speaking to everyone anymore and hoping you pull a few people right. out of it. You can just speak to those who will resonate with your message. And so I remembered what I was going to say before, which sort of ties into this, is that use of social media is obviously doing campaign time, but there's, you know, in the municipal government at least there's four years in between and you can't just go dormant for the you know the three years and then start back up i mean you could but people notice that um so and people are looking for you to continue to be engaged whether or not you won or not um but particularly if you did win they want to continue seeing you on those platforms um and that information gathering that your was talking about that can also be done in between campaigns right so it's it's Im- definitely social media is important, and it's important, I think, in ways that maybe we haven't even all realized quite yet. Um, mm. But w- one thing to note is that you have to continue using it in between elections um, because you have to keep continuing to engage, to engage um, the people who are following you and to also try to get new followers for the next election cycle. Well, Kimmy, you touch on uh, the, the lobbying and branding questions I have. What about... These third-party lobbyists, uh, I've just got two names here, Ontario Proud, and then there's another one, Keep Canada Working, which is a uh, oil pipeline, uh, oil industry, and they're pumping out lots. I, I see them mainly on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure they're elsewhere on social media. What's the impact of those people engage with them and they actually respond so you can have a dialogue with Keep Keep Canada Working? You know. Uh, an environmentalist will write back, well, that's going to raise the temperature of uh, you know, our, our average uh, global temperature. And, and someone at Keep Canada Working will respond, say, well, no, we've got these controls in effect, and have this whole dialogue. So what, where where is that in the whole pantheon of social media tools in terms of things that we need to pay attention for in campaigns? I think a lot of this comes down to obviously cost. I mean, you've got the nationalists as well. I mean, there's at one point in time to to create a third party um, organization to really broadcast messaging out. You had to pay for expensive, you know, radio or TV ads, and now obviously the cost and the barriers of this has come down. And so instead of seeing, you know, two or three groups you mentioned, I mean, there's now you know hundreds of different lobbyist types of organizations or even just special interest groups that are basically using messaging. And uh, and because there's a bit of anonymity on the on the internet, you can basically make-up names that in some ways don't reflect what the values are of those groups in order to try and get people's attention. So it's definitely the barrier and the cost has come down, and it's gonna, I think we're going to see it keep increasing as, uh, as we get closer to elections. Okay. Uh, and I'm wondering, is the best social media local? Could you make that case? I mean, does it make a difference when people who know each other in the real world interact on social media? Yes. Is that <laughs> yes? There, there are nodding heads in the room. Um, 
is the online interaction more authentic because people know each other? So how does that lead us forward in national campaigns or provincial campaigns? Well, I'm not sure this is where you're going, but this is a great opening for me to say this. Please, please. Um, so the interesting thing that happens is – so, yes, it matters that we have personal relationships in all of this. We we have seen that. That was the bubble of social media is that um, – by not being having personal interactions, it's affecting our communication skills and our ability to get a job and all of these things because we were only in that digital platform. So it's very important to have the the in-person relationship. What is interesting is that social uh, media provides a certain level of anonymity that allows people to say things they wouldn't say to you in person. Uh, and we we've, we've seen that. We've seen that in campaigns that someone will with great consistency have something to say online, but given the opportunity to speak to a person in person, won't. Won't discuss the issue. So Now, is this someone with uh, an anonymous, a calling themselves no, Foxy the, Levy, no. Lady or... <laughs> Or a guitar hero, or I believe or a this real person, person to be a true, real person who lives in Peterborough, using their real, real name. name. But okay. their comfort level was to do it from behind, a, like at a keyboard behind a computer, as opposed to in person. Even though they had that opportunity to have these discussions in person, so it's interesting what what that platform provides a certain degree of safety and then you are right there are lots of people with fake names and fake accounts that are just trolling right they're just there stirring the pot to either instigate or i'm not going to speculate all the reasons that happens (laughs) but it it um it takes us a step away from what michael was talking about which is the door and how important it is to be to, to meet somebody and be in a right. build trust and respect with somebody through a campaign. So I think, I, I mean, I want to say, you know, social media is another great tool for our democracy because it provides <laughs> us these wonderful opportunities to access information that most people couldn't have. And we can dialogue with people that have our same values from around the world. It also is opening up the door for some pretty unkind and not nice activity and that isn't to me the display of humanity i would like to see as we debate what we should be debating in a healthy democracy our different values and our different goals and how we ultimately all want to see a better community and if i can hop in there i think um the risk is to go further it's not just that it's unkind and it's not a wonderful place to be but it actually uh disenfranchises people it it pushes them Mm -hmm. further away from engaging in politics the the risk is that that really toxic stuff can do that uh which in fact i would argue is uh, a negative impact on our democracy uh and that you know we sort of touched on this earlier how do we prevent that and perhaps part of it is when it is local you know trying to have some of those conversations with with real humans face to face you know if you might have some words that were misunderstood through social media that you call that person up or get in touch and say let's go have a coffee and talk about this like real people right now we're winding down we just have about two minutes left so let me ask my ridiculously impossible question and <laughs> see if see where, where we get to where is this going? If we have this conversation next year, in two years, before the next federal election cycle, uh, what will we be talking about? Where will social media be at? Will it be more visual? Uh, I, I noticed, for example, uh, not many 
municipal candidates had visual feeds. In other words, uh, Diane Terrian did put up a few videos. I don't recall too many others. Uh, did any of the ward councillors put up? Anyway, how might it change as, of course, bandwidth increases, our technology gets even better, the phones we use today... Uh, well, I know in my ho- household they wouldn't even touch my name. It's old. You know. uh, where will we be at? Michael? One thing I think we're going to see, I mean, from a technology point of view, is we're eventually going to see you know, much more two-way video interaction. And so some of the points we've been talking about, I think um, it's true. I mean, people have no problem sitting behind a keyboard many times and firing off uh, comments either synchronous or asynchronously. Um, but if you start putting a video to there where basically people have a video town hall and everyone sort of has to start talking and other people see their face, I think there will become a bit of uh, humanization back to things and people are going to feel that that's actually a human person that they're talking to. And I think we're going to see some changes. I'm hoping that we'll also see some platforms kind of go to the wayside because people will realize that there are platforms that have a lot of negativity attached and because of the anonymous aspect of them, the more true platforms will come forward and the you know, candidates and the constituents can react in a more honest way. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? I will be really interested to see in in two years and three and five what has happened to groups like Ontario Proud, uh, who I think, um, you know, every time I see someone I know to be a card-carrying liberal or new Democrat sharing some of their more innocuous posts on Facebook, uh, I have to see just how effective they are at that sort of technique of posting some nice fluffy stuff so that you reshare it, and then later on here comes uh, what I would charitably call... uh, misleading information uh, about various parties so I will be I don't know where that's going I have to think that it's coming to uh, to a breaking point but it'll be interesting to see okay one minute left anyone else future of social media so it used to be that one of the qualifications to be a good candidate or to be a politician was to have a personal brand. Mm-hmm. You had to build up name recognition in your community. And I think our future, we're going to see that part of your social media mm-hmm. clout, if you will, like how many followers you have and what influence you have, will be part of that identifying if you will be a successful candidate moving forward. And then the last thing I'm going to say is that this one person I love so much, <laughs> uh, even though I haven't met her, her name is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she oh, uses yeah. social media fantastically. Uh, I think it was just the other night she used Instagram Live, and she made a video of her making, like, macaroni and cheese, but, like, ask, you know, people were asking her questions, and she answered them, and people loved it, and she's going to keep doing it, and I think it's great. All right. And on that note, well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Kimia Kapo, Alicia Rabaka, Yukasta Boom, uh, Lauren Hunter, and of course, Michael Skinner. Thank you for your time. And just before we sign off, and uh, Leonard Cohen ushers us out, I <laughs> have to say our schedule for the next week. Uh, on November 27th, we're holding a panel on urban planning and natural heritage in two weeks. That'll be December 4th. We are reconvening our politics panel for a wrap-up of the year in politics on our last program for the end of the fall broadcast season on Trent Radio. So please join us again every Tuesday at 9 on Trent Radio, 92.7 FM.